Hope you've had a good week since we started Romans 8 last week. Weren't able to get to it all because it's a really wonderful, deep and heavy chapter. In fact, if you're studying this in university, or if you've got a small church, maybe a house group or the like that studies this, you could easily spend um, five, six sessions on this and not plummet steps. But because we're trying to get through the whole New Testament before I die, and who knows when that's going to be, we're, uh, we're going to move along here, starting with uh, Romans 8 and verse 26. We've already entered the question of um, what kind of universe are we in? And the fact is that the universe that we are in is full of death. It's also full of life. If you've ever watched the BBC specials, you know, Planet Earth and Blue Planet, those are just amazing. And they used to cost a ton to get on DVD, and now several streaming services have them. So look for them if you've not seen them. And the bigger the telly and the better the uh, resolution on it, you, know, you got a 4K or something, oh, it's, it's astounding. Life is amazing, but death does have the final answer. And in fact, um, it is estimated everywhere I find, and I, I've looked at a bunch of sources, uh, the scientists believe that 99% of all species that have ever lived are extinct. I mean, just think of that. This world is full of death, and there's death in uh, the riverbanks. And we talked about if those little multi-celled creatures could cry out, you wouldn't want to be, uh, you wouldn't want to be on this planet. It would be insanity. So that known this dangerous universe, what is it looking for? It is looking for redemption. It is looking for a savior. All earth cries out as if in the throes of, of, uh, of childbirth. Uh, it is um, it's a stunning chapter. But then we hope, he says, for what we do not have. Because if you have it, you're not hoping. We have to hope for what is coming. In the same way, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Because he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I've heard this spoken of many times as if it were merely that our emotions sometimes cannot be put into words. And so we're, we're there in prayer, our emotions are powerful, but our words aren't matching. So the Holy Spirit then interprets those emotions into words for God. And I, I think I understand why we say that, but there are a couple of issues with that. One is God doesn't need an interpreter. Um, notice in here it says, he who searches the heart knows the spirit, knows the spirit. And so I'm not sure we can do a declination to this and just say, all right, this is the way that works. I think there may be a key in that last phrase, because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is not us as individuals talking to God to get God to do something for us, to us, about us as individuals. We are saved into a community. We are saved into a hive. 
And that hive is buzzing. It is always moving. God loves us, cares for us, and knows us as individuals. But our action in prayer is to always keep in mind the community. So I can remember when I was a boy and there was going to be a birthday party and, and I wasn't allowed to go to many of those um, strict parents and my dad wanted me there to work for the church instead. But every, you know, a few times I can remember in my childhood getting to go for a little bit to a party. And this one friend's party was outside. And back then you didn't have people constantly on television with news and weather. So I prayed that it would be a good day so they wouldn't cancel the one chance I had to go to a birthday party. Uh, it dawned on me that it hadn't rained for a while and there were probably farmers that were praying it would rain on the very day I was praying it wouldn't. Somebody's going to get disappointed. Somebody is not going to get what they want. We need to always keep in mind what I realized as an eight-year-old. And that is that my prayer is only from my perspective. And I might not want what I think I want. I might not need what I think I need. God may have something else planned. I mean, our Safe Harbor Church, that whole thing started not because of my plans, but in spite of my plans. Other people were evidently praying. It's up to us then to understand that the Spirit of God and God all know that we're speaking from a limited perspective and they work to, sh to shape us into them. All things work together for good? They do, they do. We're gonna look at that very quickly in this month of December, this month of five Wednesdays. And by the way, content will continue every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Sunday in December. Uh, it is um, about half of it's recorded already, but it's going to continue because we know that some of you are not going to be gathered around family like an Andy Williams special out of the 70s, and that you're going to you're going to need to have some touch and love from our safe harbor, and it will be there. There will be a Christmas Eve service as well, and so look for that. All right. We're doing that entirely online this, this year, merely because um, families are moving about and we're not really sure which teammates can be here on the night. So we're recording early and I know you're gonna enjoy that. Back to here. It is whatever God wants and, and it's not just like, well, no, Patrick, you can't have that because God wants this. In prayer, we move toward good. We move toward God. Remember, Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God. And he was actually pulling a little thing on them there that we'll talk about later when we get to that passage. Just know this, the closer we get pulled toward good, of course, the closer we are being pulled toward God. It's a Prayer is a community event. Uh, and if I may caution you, if you pray out loud, in particular, around any other person, Make sure whatever you are saying is part of the community and not just you. I think it's fine to bring you in. You, you can say, you know, Lord, I've got COVID, please heal me and then protect my daughter as she goes to school today. I mean, uh, yes, 
problem is whenever prayer becomes political, left or right, doesn't matter whether it's fascism or progressivism, if it works its way into the prayer, you alienate some in the room. If you bring in a doctrine which is not commonly held, I think you can do that. Um, in other words, perhaps you believe in 100% healing miraculously and somebody in the room does not. I think it's still okay to bring that up, but to do so in a way that at the end, the other person can say amen. And then if you have private issues, Jesus said you do those in private and God will work together. I mean, I've moved all over the place, um, not just physically, but doctrinally and politically. And it has always been a bit of a struggle sometimes, to, um, always been a bit of a struggle sometimes. Wow, Patrick, understand your modifiers. It is often, that's a better one, it's often been an issue that I'll be somewhere and I'll hear a prayer veer toward political, even if I agree with the politics, it hurts me because I know we've just alienated some in the room. Remember the hive. Remember, we are all individuals, but we are all in the community. And God's pulling us together. Because the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other, right? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. See, there it is. Who have been called according to his purpose. Um, many of the manuscripts that are very, very early. Uh, and by the way, this is a good reading from uh, manuscripts vary. And that's because they're written by different people in different cultures um, and language moves about. You can also translate m very many of the earliest uh, manuscripts. All things work together for good to those who love God or that all things in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. So this is really, um, this is really different. I, whenever you look at it that way, here's what I mean. Um, somebody has tragedy happen to them. Please do not rush to them and says, now God has a plan in this. I believe it is entirely appropriate to say, all right, let's see what God can do with this. But do not give anybody the impression that the pain they are suffering is because God caused it as part of his wondrous plan. If I were to get cancer, if I were to get COVID, if I were to get hit by a drunk driver, I don't believe any of that is God's plan. It could be, but I have no right to assign him blame for my pain. But I believe in all those circumstances and in all today's circumstances, we can find a way to thank God that he has not deserted us. And he can take whatever happened and make it good. Good doesn't always feel good. Those of you that go to the gym will say that, uh, you know, it makes me feel better. Yeah, after, doesn't it? And it does, I'm, I'm sure it does. Same with eating right to the light. You know, chocolate cake absolutely takes, tastes better than um, roasted vegetables. Some of you will disagree with me, but you are wrong. I love you anyway. 
but chocolate cake tastes good, but it isn't good. So moderation. By the way, if you have extra now and I've convicted you, please send them to me. Um, I will dispose of them in a completely irresponsible way. God knows what he is doing. So he says, for God foreknew, he also predestined, for those, I'm sorry, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. Um, this is where some Calvinists uh, began hopping around the room with great joy saying, see, he predestined who was going to be saved. Well, in a way, says he predestined those he called. What did you, who did Jesus call? Whosoever will may come. Wait, Calvinism, Reformed theology says that your will does not do anything, that it is only the will of God that decides whether or not you will be drawn to him. And you will be saved or you won't be saved. It's up to the will of God and predestination. That is not what this says. God predestined, he pre-knew and foreknew that he was going to make a plan through his son that whoever comes to him will be saved, will be justified, and they will be glorified. The same people that are caught in the trap of Romans 7, along with Paul and along with Patrick, are going to be saved, justified, and glorified because we showed up. We answered the call of God. That's, it's not as if when I was in my mother's womb, God either said, all right, Patrick's going to be saved whether he likes it or not, or, nah, he can't do anything. He's born for hell. No. Read it again. It, I know it reads, for God, for, for those God foreknew. The phrasing really is God foreknew all. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. His plan was before day one that we all become more like Jesus Christ. More like that son born in Bethlehem. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. If you come to this with a Calvinist mindset, you will end up thinking it is saying Calvinist things. But instead, this is another, this is Paul's lawyer we, that was a terrible, lawyerly way of saying, whosoever will. God knew them. He predestined. He has made a decision, is what Paul says. God's already made a decision to save those who answer the call. That makes sense with the rest of the, of the book of Romans. To say, nah, you're in or out, it's up to him, does not make sense with the rest of the book of Romans. God is more loving than Calvinism would indicate. And I know I may make some Calvinists upset. I, I know I have. I'm not a pure Arminian either in that I don't believe we have complete free will. I, I was born to people, an intact family with some education already and who were very interested in our education. I was, I was born in a place that was 
free, um, that had certain understanding of, of human rights. That's that's amazing. I've already got got a, a leg up on the competition. You know, somebody in a developing country. All of that to say, it's not pure free will because I didn't have anything to do with that decision, but it certainly isn't no will. Whosoever will may come. So what if you're a mess? What if you're horrible? What if you have, you're on your fifth marriage, uh, your kids won't talk to you and a couple of them, you lost, you lost them because of your behavior. And I'm not talking about theirs. I'm saying you, we're, we're painting this. What if you've tried to commit suicide a couple of times and you're still thinking about it? You need to know something. He will save you, justify you and glorify you. Just come to him. He made that decision. The young lady, back when I had a counseling practice, uh, way back in the eighties and early nineties, um, before many of you babies were born, there was a, a young lady that called me. Now this is back in a day, no cell phones, not even one of those remote phones. You had to stand there with the curly cord. And she said, somebody told me that you're, you're a Christian and you're a counselor. And I said that, yes. She goes, I just, I just needed to tell somebody I'm going to kill myself tonight. We started from there. This conversation went on for about an hour or so. And one of the times I said, but you can't, I don't want you to kill yourself. She goes, why? You don't even know me. I said, I love you. She goes, you can't love me. You don't know me. I said, you don't get to choose who I love. You don't get to know what, what's in my heart. And I don't have to know you. I've made a decision. I love you. And then we went from there and she was going to kill herself tonight. And I asked, how long have you been thinking about this? And she said, four years. And I said, all right, whatever's helped you put it off four years can help you put it off until the morning. And eventually she got there. First time she met with me, she was not happy. When she went out, she took her purse and started banging my car, my new car. I'd never had that happen before. I didn't say anything. I figured the car ought to be able to stand up against a purse. I wasn't sure. Later on, that person became a Christian, a mother, and a counselor. But she never let me forget that before I'd met her, I'd already said, no, I, I love you. It's my decision, not yours. And she began to understand God had done the same thing. And the only reason I loved her, to be frank, was because he loved me. What he gave to me was the only thing I was offering to her. And so this is such good news that Paul just breaks out here. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Getting chills? If you're paying attention, you should be getting chills. Wow. Paul says, God's not going to hold anything back. Look at the parable of the faithful father. Most people call it the parable of the prodigal son. 
I think they've got their attention on the wrong character. Prodigal son was truly prodigal. He just he blew everything, his inheritance, his reputation, his life, his family, his community. Whenever he decides, I, I don't have anything to eat, I've got nothing, I need to go and just beg to be a servant in my father's house. Well, as he is a long way off, the scripture says the father saw him and ran to him. Well, the young man has got this speech prepared, and, it's, and that sounds as if I'm indicating it wasn't sincere, but no, you can prepare a very sincere, heartfelt apology. And he was, he, Father, I am not worthy. And the father interrupts that, never lets him give the speech. Says, bring, bring the robes of office, bring the rings of his status on here. Let's, and we're gonna throw a party. He doesn't even let the guy apologize and say how awful he was because that's the God we've got. I know many of you, like me, heard about a God of thunder and judgment and rigidity. Read the Gospels, and then read this, Romans. God runs to us. God doesn't make us fall down and place our heads under his feet for him to decide to crush us or not. God runs to us. He gave us Jesus. Paul said, how, how can you think he would deny you anything if he didn't deny you this? Wow. So, who then, he says, will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Remember, First and Second Corinthians, Paul had been charged with a lot of stuff. And he's saying, I don't care. Who are they to charge us? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died more than that, was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God. He's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death. All day long we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It's out of Psalm 44. I want to stop right here. Just make a note that if you are in famine, if you are homeless wearing rags, if you are in danger from government and such, for example, we know that we have people uh, who watch every week our, our worship service on Sunday, who can only check in if there are third parties who will, let, who will do it from a tourist hotel on an American or a British or Australian um, passport and a laptop rather uh, because if they do they're going to be in trouble with their government. There are about four countries and we know they're there and we keep silent and no we won't tell you the names of the countries. If they are being hunted for their faith they need to remember that does not indicate that God's love is not with them. I'll never forget, I, I suffered, as many of you know, I've got trigeminal neuralgia. I suffered some blows to the head, um, some other things, and had major surgery in there and that kind of inflamed some other things. And for a long period of time, I had migraines or their equivalent in cluster headaches several times a week. And I'll never forget the, the man older than me that pulled me aside. Uh, I was working in an area where he worked. 
And he told me my headaches were really a lack of faith and that if I came to his church, they'd tell me how to have faith to pray and they'd all go away. Not helpful. Not helpful at all. You know why you're so sick and awful? Because it's your fault. <laughs> really? This is, you know, your bedside manner leaves a bit to be desired there. Uh, Paul's just saying, listen, no matter how bad it gets, God's love doesn't leave. This is all good news. This is still all good news. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here's a passage we just got to memorize. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor future, nor any powers, nor height, or any depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unless you don't sing the right songs, or you use an instrument, or you weren't baptized right, or no, no. Do you see what horror we have inflicted upon the good news of God? And it is nothing less than horror. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And there are no more qualifiers there with exceptions. And Paul, as a lawyer, would know the exceptions. But there aren't any. The love of God is greater than anything you've done. Please remember, no matter how horrible a person you are, you have not surprised God, nor have you removed yourself from his love. Jesus himself, talk, talking to the crowd, says, God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, he's going to bless them all. And if you don't want to be a part of a faith where everybody gets blessed, Christianity is not for you. And sadly, most of what we do out there indicates the opposite, that God will not love you unless you are one of the right forms of 600 plus denominations. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Well, it's a short midweek Bible study today because I want us to launch into chapter 9 and then just roll. All right? But it's December the 1st. I hope you have an amazing December. If you need us, just write me, patrick at rsafeharbor.com. If you want to give to us, look up, again, www. Only people of a certain age use that anymore. Oursafeharbor.com, and you'll see how to give there. You don't have to give to us, but you do need to give to somebody because giving is an act of worship. If you don't have money, time is important. By the way, if you're a single mom with two kids and you don't have money or time, you're doing the work of the Lord raising those babies. And it's hard work and God appreciates it. So I'm not shaming you. You don't need to be sending us a check or running around doing good works with us. You raise those babies in love. All right. God bless. We'll see you next week as we continue. And again,